Hi everyone, welcome to the first uh, Leader Series um, session for 2022. Um, great to have you back here, GCS Connect. We've got a lot of exciting events coming up for the year ahead. Um, we've got Chris Byington from Updata, he's one of the, the heads of data there. Uh, really interesting company doing some real disruptive work within the logistics and uh, home, home moves uh, industry. Um, and what really interested me about this particular conversation was how data is being used to improve software and how he's leading that and really driving the charge within his own business. We've been working a lot with Updata, great company to work for. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this particular uh, leader series and look out for more exciting people following through 2022. Hi there, Chris. Good to speak to you. Um, as I said, we've got Chris uh, buying from here today, um, who is the VP for Data for Updata. Very interesting company. We're going to find out more about them in the kind of coming half hour. Chris has got 10 years experience in the industry um, and lots of podcast experience and a few podcasts. So he's a, he's a pro here. So um, uh, Updata is a company that GCS has been working with quite a lot over the last kind of 18 months. And we thought it'd be great to to get them on board to find out how they're disrupting their industry and how data is leading that. So Chris is definitely the person that's, that's leading with that. So great to have you on uh, here, Chris. Um, do you want to just quickly just take us through a little bit about um, Updata um, and um, the company itself and the sort of services that you provide? Because it's, it's really quite different, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. And thank you for having me on. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I can I can rise to the level of a podcast expert, but I'll certainly try. <laughs> um, so, Updater, you know, at our core, we're solving what should be a simple and very human need, which is when you move, you're in a tumultuous time in your life. There are a lot of different things you need to organize as you move from your old home to your new home. Um, it's a universal human problem, and no, there's not really any companies that have tried to solve it using software. And so, yeah. you know, I, I think a common term in the industry is like, oh, we're disrupting this industry, X, Y, Z, whether it's finance or yeah, banking or um, Uber with the, you know, with the taxi um, industry. We're really, there's a bunch of open space updater. We're defining what it means to solve this really logistically complex problem, which is moving using modern software. Um, yeah. So when you move, you're in the tight time period, you usually have maybe a month or two before you move. And then there's the whole time after where you need to settle in and kind of feel at home and unpack all of your things, which I think we all know. Um, there's always something you forget and you don't realize you need it and something's broken. Um, and so what we wanna do is, is provide guidance to, to, to households in the US and, and our users um, to help them relieve some of that stress, to tell them what they need to do to guide them through the process. And then of course, for the things they actually need to execute, whether it's forwarding mail or setting up Wi-Fi or getting a renter's insurance plan, we we have, we have technology that helps them fulfill those things all in one place. It's, um, it, it, I mean, you mentioned Uber there and I guess Uber is quite a, because Uber has come into the, the like you said, the taxi industry with disrupt that or make it better. I mean, I think that's, it's not so much disrupting, it's improving the service, isn't it? The yeah. software, I guess you would look at Uber Eats. I mean, there's obviously the delivery. And I guess the idea is there. So 
how long has Updata been going now? How long have you been providing services? Uh, we've been we've been in business for the better part of a decade. Okay. Um, we've been iterating on our core product for um, really just a couple of years. Sure. Uh, a, a, a big challenge in the industry, and I, and I think one of the main reasons that there aren't companies that have tried to do this before yeah. is everyone moves differently. And there's not um, a single place either in the physical world or in the digital world on the internet where like all the households that are moving are kind of aggregated, so to speak. And so it, it, the result of that is in, you in the technology industry, you talk about acquiring users as a main challenge. That's yeah. extremely challenging in, in, when you're trying to build a technology and a, and a, so a piece of software that, that solves the moving problem for people as they organize their move. Um, and so that's something that that Updater um, has solved by partnering directly with apartment buildings and brokerage agents and mortgage agents and title agents and other what we call real estate partners um, right. to provide our software to their residents directly at mm -hmm. the moment that they decide to move, whether that's signing a lease or entering into a contract to buy a home. Sure. Um, and so to me, that's what that's been one of the many really amazing innovations that our company and particularly our CEO, whose name is also David, um, has introduced. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, is bringing our tools and software to people right when they need them. Um, and I think that's a key difference relative to, um, you know, I think where other companies uh, have seen a challenge and haven't succeeded. And I think you've you've spoken before as well as one of the challenges that you've had leading the data side is is obviously being able to use the data to make the software better. So like you said, iterating on the use cases and, and helping to improve that. So I guess one of the interesting things for the user experience there is that being a new piece of software, a new type of service that people haven't really used before, you've got to make it quite easy to use but you've got to understand what people actually do. Because like you said, there's no best practice really, is there? Everyone does it differently. So you've, I guess you've had to have done some learning as you were going along about how people do move, what they like, what they don't like, what, what's helpful, what's not. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, is certainly one of the main kind of, I think what, what, you're, what you're suggesting or hinting at is like, is like the way that we, the data team, help update our overalls and what you're describing yeah. the, kind of the feedback loop from, all the data we collect from our users, um, from which apartment building they came from to how they're using the product to when their new data is to all of these things give us a holistic view of, ultimately I mentioned before, like the human being, it's a human problem. These aren't, yeah. this isn't abstract. These are, these are people using the product and, and we can help. Um, having that holistic view and being able to understand what's working really well, what's not, and where we have the opportunity to to improve, and then also where we have the opportunity to maybe we made a bet that that you know hasn't succeeded and doesn't end up meeting the user's need, and I think that's an equally, if not more important, learning, all of which can can come from data. So I guess what I mean to say is, um, data is really just meant to be proxy for facts. Um, yeah, it's a very abstract statement, but it really is. Um, and facts are very helpful to to guide prioritization and where we, our team, and and then update the company overall should and does focus its time to get the biggest return on, on that investment of resources. And one of the things I felt was really interesting when we had this kind of the prep chat where you were talking about this data in a feedback loop. And, and I think that's, 
that's one key kind of innovation that, that, that I think you're really kind of looking to press on. And as a leader, we obviously talk quite a lot about the leadership element of this. How do you get your team, as things as a challenge, really, how do you get your team to continue to kind of focus back on, let's use the data to improve the software, let's use the data to improve the human experience? You know? How do you kind of keep that core message going? Yeah, that's definitely quite challenging, and it it it, it requires, um, I think, both for the company and for the team, repeating the same message and the same goal and aligning around it, around it kind of over and over again. Um, I think it starts... It, this is a simplistic way of thinking about it, but it starts on every new team member's first day. Um, right. It says, yeah. give me one slide or one sentence that says, what are you here to do? Right. Okay. And for us, I say, our team mandate on the data team is very simple and very broad. Use data to improve business outcomes. That's it. And the business outcome is, is the goal that the company has articulated. We take it as given. We do also influence kind of company goal setting and strategy. And, and that, that's, that's equally, if not more important. But, but on an individual basis, you're asking about the team. Um, you know, what, what, are, what is your mandate? What are you here to do? Use data to improve business outcomes. We have different kind of functions within the team that accomplish that goal in different ways. Sometimes it's about building tools for people at the company to do that, like for stakeholders to do that. And in yeah. other cases, mostly with um, a lot of the roles that we've been working with GCS on actually yeah. in product analytics, which is what you're talking about when we talk about the feedback loop, it's what's the company goals? What's the product area I as the analyst am responsible for? How do I tie a line between the goals of that product area? Just to give an example, one of our product areas that is particularly helpful for users is forwarding mail. We don't make any money on it and we don't try to make money on it. It's just something that helps users. We do also have other products that we make money on. Yeah, um, that's uh, always good. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but we built really, it's really a delightful product. To be honest, I've used it a number of times when I moved. Um, it's easier than forwarding mail directly through the post office. It's a couple clicks. Um, it's post office charges you a dollar, we charge you nothing. Um, okay. And understanding that that ladders up to the company's kind of mission of having a single place to manage your move that's dramatically better than, you know, the pen and paper or the Google Sheets or whatever people are using um, is really important. And then, so that's kind of mapping the area of ownership for the individual to the company's goals. And if you don't have that, then it's incredibly challenging or impossible to have the feedback loop because you don't know what you're trying to achieve. You kind of yeah, just right. from the end. Um, and then once you have the end, it's really pick the metric, move the metric. And that's true for people directly working on data on the product. And it's also true for business people in the company who aren't data analysts, but who do use facts, like I said before, and data to guide their decision-making. The metric is, a, like I said, you know, proxy for facts. It's a proxy for the outcome you're trying to drive, improving sure. business outcomes. And if you, if you build a, a, you know, a metric that's a faithful and true representation of what you're trying to accomplish, it should be sufficient to improve that metric in order for you to be successful. And yeah, so yeah. you're laddering down the goal to something the analyst can, can control, and then they can begin to articulate initiatives at a lower level where you can see the levers that they move the metric by, and then it's just a question of execution. Yeah, and it must be um, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy because obviously, you know, you get good word of mouth, you know, other because it's quite a fragmented industry, I guess, like realty and 
you know yeah. moving companies the the, the apartment blocks etc cetera, etc cetera. there's not there's not like three or four big companies that own everything it's you have to kind of a, li- a little bit again like we kind of go back to kind of fast food deliveries there's lots of independent fast food stores right so you have to kind of get a kind of real kind of reputation in the market and then you kind of you solidify the market don't you you know and that's that's i guess where the business will be and you talk about data and you talk about the customer experience there so i'm just quite interested there so how how much of that customer experience is what you see from the, the from the touch and the clicks and the actual you know the facts that you see in the actual user experience without asking the customers but do you also add in you know actual net promoter score or you know like actual real life feedback from your customers as well and then do you treat that as a data because i guess then that would be unstructured data which would be more difficult to assess yeah no i think that's a great point um i'm glad you brought that up uh it's probably a hot take but my opinion is that you know so far we've been talking about like cold hard facts and like quantitative data so to speak um yeah yeah, it's probably a hot take but i don't believe that that is the end all be all, which is kind of what you're saying. Um, yeah. I think that the hard data can it is very good at telling you what happened. Um, in some cases, it can tell you why, and in some cases, it can in some cases it can tell you how to improve. But most yeah. of the time, it'll shine a light in an area that's an opportunity for improvement, or that's a that's an actual negative problem. But yeah. it fails to tell you why it's a problem or how to improve and qualitative data, whether it's surveys or NPS or something that, that we do um, that's been really successful for us at Updater is just having physical live one-on-one conversations with users. Um, yeah. have kind of a, a program that that just kind of happens automatically every month, a certain number of times, both in general and about specific areas of our product that product managers are working to improve. Um, and we're building now our chief, our chief product officer, Josh, is building uh, a research function that's kind of a formalized function that will be the center of excellence for um, learning qualitatively about users. So yes, 100%, they, they need to go together. Neither one can really live without the other fully. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting when you think about that, because if you're setting out your stall as a leader to, to we really want to be, you know, seen as specialists in this and, and leading the field within this, then you have to use all the different opportunities to, to bring that in, don't you? And you know, we found that when working with Updata that you know, people become very interested in that because it's you know, you're using data from different areas, bringing it together, and, and then it's really helping to, to drive the business. And I think you know, within, within companies nowadays, data becomes so important, the data that people hold, um, for many, many reasons, that, that it becomes such, such a central role, doesn't it, really? You know, the, 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 the department is so central, Chris. I don't know, like you said, you've been in for more than a decade. Have you seen a change in that? I mean, data is always supporting something else, whereas now it's the kind of leader. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think the way I characterize it is I've, I've seen an opening of the way companies are organized and the way certain companies and certain data leaders think about the data function in the industry, where it is possible to have data functions that are centralized, that are not um, primarily in service of another function. Yeah. Um, 
And that's kind of an emerging trend that I've seen. I wouldn't, I don't think that it's the industry standard today, but I think the shift that I've seen in the last decade or so is from that, that paradigm I just described almost never happening to that paradigm sometimes happening, depending on the needs of the company, depending on their willingness to invest in, in a data function. Because it is, it, it's a long investment to build. It's yeah. complex um, and it's it's expensive. Um, so the need needs to be there and the buy-in needs to be there. Um, at Updater, just to give an example, I think Updater is in the minority in that we've chosen to invest in this function and it's one of the yeah. reasons I've joined. And culturally, it's kind of a part of our ethos. Um, yeah. We have a board director uh, whose name is Ryan. I'm really thankful to him. He's the, he's the person who hired me. Um, and he had a vision about five years ago um, of essentially this feedback loop. Um, yeah. that we're about 50 employees, we need this function, we can, we can no longer just kind of make gut bets, we need to have a, have a team that deeply understands, like keeps us honest and understands business performance and, and can help guide us on what, where to place our bets using data and be more intelligent about it. Um, yeah. And so he put a stake in the ground and said, we need a data function, this is a priority for the company, and he told management to do it. Um, and, and then here we are four years later. Here we are. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so, so for those listening, maybe those the kind of running software or digitizing their platforms, what, what were the key pieces of advice you would give to other leaders that are really looking to kind of create kind of data-led software solutions? So some key things to make sure that you've got right up front. I'll kind of indirectly answer the question. I think the first thing... I usually do indirect answers to questions, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let me think about that one. The the first thing I'd say is make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Um, It's it's really counterintuitive. If you build a data team just because you want to be data driven for no other reason, I think it's 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 more than likely that you'll fail. Um, because that's not a reason. That has that has no connection to company goals. I don't care about it myself. My, like I said before, business outcomes, my focus is on impact, not yeah. on data for the sake of data. We yeah. don't do data science because it's cool. We don't do ML because it's the newest thing. When I look at, you know, a headline in that I get in my inbox about, you know, the data industry, about a new piece of technology, my first question is not, wow, that's awesome. Like we need to be on the cutting edge. There needs to be a reason for that. So, yeah. so organizing around that and like, and like make, make tying the connection between what you're doing and the company's goals is critical. If you continue to stay aligned there, it's very difficult to disagree with anything that you suggest because it's always in the company's best interest. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, and that's always, you know, my first question when a new product com- project comes up is like, how does, it, how does this affect company goals? And then part mm-hmm. of our job as well, more for me than anyone on the team is like, to make sure everyone's aligned around the company goals because those are usually metrics, right? Um, it's like, hey, how does this move this revenue run rate metric, user acquisition, the list goes on. If the answer is it doesn't, the person has kind of answered their own question. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing is making sure you're doing it for the right reason. And then I'll actually answer your question, which is, I think that with data projects, whether you're building a function or it's a particular project, they're especially challenging because of the amount of uncertainty inherent in them. Yeah. Um, you have an idea. If it's an analysis, 
you don't know what you're going to learn. Yeah. Like you can't learn that until you actually do the work. Sure. And how, how disappointing is it if you undertake the work and you realize, hey, there's nothing here. I have no recommendation. And it's a month yeah. later. And then yeah. if you do learn something, I'm just talking through an example. Even if you do learn something, the suggestions that you make, the recommendations, they may not be actionable or even feasible from a technical perspective. So yeah. they say, hey, we should build this personalization engine. Every user should get a different experience. You go to engineering, their answer is that will take two years. Yeah. Not, not going to happen. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then politically, even if it is technically feasible, not politically, that's not the right way to say it, but organizationally, based on the company strategy, it may not be feasible to actually decide to implement the project. Hmm. And so only when all of those things are a yes, and then you implement it and then you test it and it works the way you think, because you still need to test it. Yeah, only yeah. when that happens, do you actually have an impact on company outcomes? And that's like threading a needle through a needle through a needle through a needle. Um, and if you fail in any of those areas, you had no impact. And to be frank, your work doesn't matter. Um, yeah, that's right. So it's got to be it's got to be aligned politically and strategically and goal wise. It's got to be aligned technically for what actually can be done. Yeah. I guess what might have happened in the past is that companies would have said, "Well, we want to do it. The programmers say it can be done," but no one ever asked. Like no one ever tested the customers and the data to actually see whether it was worthwhile doing. Just, just that you can answer me or not. Have you, have you had? Plenty of circumstances, I guess, where you've said this is a great idea. This seems like a great idea, but data, what from my experience, from my research, I don't think we should go down this route. Hundred percent, yeah. I think most projects meet that definition. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like the, yeah. I mean, you need to always be. This gets to prioritization, but you need to always be working on the top, you know, X percent, five percent, maybe ten percent at most of projects. Yeah. Um, in order to maximize the value of your time. Mm. Um, and you really, what we try to do is like see ourselves as like fiduciaries of the company's time. It's like, I, okay. need, to, I need to be spending it not just in a way that's suitable. Like, yeah, that project seems good. seems like it would have probably a positive impact. That's, that's not enough. It doesn't meet the bar. It needs mm. to be definitely in the best interest, you know, something with a million dollar impact should fail relative to something with a $5 million impact. And you you really can't make a prioritization decision unless you understand all of the potential things that could be worked on. And so yourself as a leader within the business, obviously you, you carry a lot of sway. I, I guess you're speaking at C-level, you're, you're a VP yourself. Um, what, what are the most important things for yourself to kind of you know, give those reports back? Because in the end, you're, you're making recommendations, you know, and I, and I think sometimes... Myself as a as a as a director or a CEO, it's always quite interesting to see different types of customer success people, different types of people reporting back to you, and it can be done really well, it can be done really badly. <laughs> so, what what you know for yourself? What, how how do you feel the best way to to give these reports is? You know, do you use a lot of facts and figures? Do you try to kind of stick to the headlines? What's your what's your what's your methodology? there's kind of two things. One is um, I think showing results is the best way to do it. Maybe that's a non-answer, but <laughs> do find finding ways to make it to find the easiest path as possible to impact, um, especially cases where a lot of the work is within your team's control yep. rather than constantly kind of making an ask of another team. It's like, well, we could do this if you only gave us these resources. Mm -hmm. Find the stuff that 
you're in charge of a budget. Like you got to spend that that proverbial money wisely. Um, find things that you can control and they require the minimal amount of effort from other teams in order to affect the business. And then tell people the amazing things that you did. Um, and those will typically be also the things that your team can do that no other team can do. Yeah. And that, that's like where you add value. If when you build that reputation, you begin to be able to exert influence over, hey, this other team, have you thought about focusing one person on this instead of that? And yeah. that in a vacuum, I've not seen to be successful in the past because it feels, um, it just kind of feels like you're asking and not really giving anything. Um, whereas if you show the track record of, hey, we did these things and it worked really well, I can imagine a similar project for your team, the data shows this, and then that's where you bring in the, the figures of, hey, I noticed that within your portfolio, there's 20% of clients that, you mentioned client success, um, that, that are a little bit less healthy. I wonder if you've considered doing, doing this action and let them own the result as well um, and yeah. let them take credit for it. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting because, you know, recruitment itself is quite a data-driven business or can be. There's a lot of data in recruitment if you think about it. Um, and I know we work very close with our data teams and it's something that we, we in GCS have worked on quite a lot in the last 12 months, really, to make more data-driven solutions. But And I think that our teams are getting better and better at presenting the data because it's funny what you said about you can do something that other people don't think they can do. I always, I always joke that basically the, the whole job of IT is to try and basically stop people using Excel spreadsheets. You know, <laughs> you know, you mentioned Google Docs or whatever. It's kind of, that's, that's what that's what Dave was trying to do. Like, you don't use don't use your spreadsheet. Use the system. And I and I think that, you know, presenting that data back in a forceful, powerful, you know, goal orientated way is one of the key goals really of a data leader isn't it you know you've got to you've got to do the research and then you've got to get people the people that aren't in your team to to buy into it haven't you yeah no absolutely fantastic and so 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 just kind of looking forward in, the, in on, on the data side you know and particularly kind of within the sector that we're talking about here which i guess we do we talk about logistics or you know to kind of realty real estate you know do you see this is a as a sector ripe for disruption, you know, that can that will go through a lot of changes in in the kind of coming five, five years, let's say, or even two years, as, as we've seen happening with in other industries, you know, already, you know, for instance, the record industry, let's say, you know, it's already been very disruptive. Do you see that happening? Do you see that as a kind of a you're at the crest of a wave there with that data? Uh, yeah, I definitely do. There's um and, and it's something that's been building for at least a couple of years. Um, there's a there's a subset of of the the real estate industry called uh, it's colloquially it's called prop tech property technology. Uh, yeah, I have heard that term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and and Updater is sometimes considered to be a part of that, although we're a little bit more holistically consumer facing um, yeah. than, than simply focused on property. Um, but yeah, there's a, there are a number of companies that are trying to improve. Basically, the the home services industry, um, and so companies that are kind of adjacent to to Updater in particularly like apartment management verticals are are companies in in these luxury apartments where um, you know you have an app uh, where you can schedule your dog walker or yep. you get you know notification when your Amazon package is delivered and things like that. 
um, things that are, you know, they're essentially looking at the home, um, whether or not you own it, we're talking about apartments, as like technology to make it a smart home holistically and to kind of bring it to the same level of technological um, sophistication as, as our, our digital world. That's right. And we're all spending more time at home, aren't we? So more services, you know. Exactly. <laughs> you need a kind of a we work, you need a we work for your house, don't you now? Definitely a spectrum, yeah. And you know, that's obviously really driving the, the, the company up data for we've seen huge changes for you guys in the last few years. Um, you know, with regards to looking at kind of talent and you know going out there and finding the right people. You mentioned a little bit about the kind of onboarding, the induction you do, but as a leader, you know, with with quite set goals in what you want your team to achieve, what are the key things that you're looking for within your team to kind of come into the team and join up data? I think there, there's two things that stand out kind of at the, that general level. Um, the first is motivation. Um, I think the counterpoint to that is like technical skills and industry experience. Yeah. I think those all can be taught. Um, they're definitely challenging, but, but it's something that can be learned. Um, it's much more difficult to coach someone to want something that they don't want. Um, and so hiring people who will, who will be receptive to the thing I, I kind of mentioned at the top of this conversation, which is our team mandate of improving business outcomes, people who are focused on yeah contributing to the shared like ethos of performance and not focused on their, themselves, but rather focused on contributing to company goals um, and who will get energy from succeeding at that and fight in cases where they fail at that is, is really important because it makes sure that the motion we were talking about before of like mapping your work to the company goals and then finding things that contribute to that, it allows them to be autonomous in doing that and, and to not need to be course corrected. Um, yeah. it, it's very challenging not to respect that when you see it in the workplace. You can always tell. I'm sure you have reports who are kind of there to do their own function. And then there are those people who are like, oh my God, David, we need to do this. Like this is falling behind. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I want to do like, like you, you feel the difference between those employees. We're trying to have a hundred percent of people like that. Yeah. Because then, then they match your passion. Then you get a passionate team overall. And I think, like you said, motivation, passion is so important for the leader because then you really kind of you can really push things forward and, and do amazing things, can't you? You know, um, and 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 from my side, obviously, that's you know been very matched in with the, the types of people you've kind of brought on within within the updated business, and um, and you've got a very good team there, you know, and it, it must be kind of nice. So did you have a a fully hybrid team of, of people kind of working around different places, or do you get people into the office together? Um, yeah, we have, we're hybrid. Um, our model uh, across Updater, our policy is, is what we call remote first, which means um, we do have offices open um, optionally, um, yep. but we, we won't ask people to, you know, we won't force people to come into the office. Um, if people want to work remotely, they can work remotely. Um, and we certainly never allow people to come into the office unless we think it's fully safe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And do you find that um, as a leader that has helped you over the part like this change has helped you to, to to motivate the team and to work with the team in better ways? Or do you think you 
sometimes you feel you miss something without having people in, in team. I know for tech teams, it's like different because there's been more remote working in the past for recruitment. It's It's been a huge sea change. We were all in the sales floor before and now we're all sat in our, in our living rooms on our laptops. But um, do you think you lose something with not having all your team together all the time? Or do you think it's a benefit? I think it's mixed. I think we do lose something. Um, and I think we gain it in other areas. We, I think we lose... Um, I mean, it's, it's what everyone says. It's, it's, it's probably not controversial, but we lose the in the moment kind of um, spontaneous interactions yeah. where you turn around and tap someone on the shoulder. Um, yeah. Some of the productivity technologies like Slack are, are working on that. They have like a little button where you can have a, an immediate voice conversation now, but it's still not yeah. the same. Um, so we do lose that and we do, we lose the, um, the collective kind of in the room, like brainstorming and things like that. Um, you know, when I was talking before about prioritization, mm-hmm. a lot of that is about focus. It's about, like I said, deciding what not to work on. And so for those couple initiatives you have on the team that you're really focused on that are the highest priority, you, mm-hmm. you need to be able to jump into a room in the middle of the day, cancel a meeting in order to solve a problem to move forward. Um, and you, it is possible to do over Zoom, but it's different and it's more challenging. Um, and then what you gain, I think, is Number one, we have people working all over the country. Our team is uh, 13 today uh, on the data team, 13 people. Um, I mean, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't have those people on the team if we were all, we all needed yeah. to be in the same office. That's just logistically impossible. So that's been really great. Some of our best hires have been outside of, of what you might think of as, as in the United States, a typical technology hub, meaning mostly Silicon Valley and also um, New York City. Um, so yeah. that's been really great to to speak with those folks and bring them onto the team, um, and um, and it's I'm been interested to know how do you do the because um, in the UK we don't have I know what we do because we're a global business. Do you work on San Francisco time? So if they're in New York, then they they are working on San Francisco time. Yeah, you, you pull funny. rank. <laughs> I definitely yeah, that's funny. Um, there are sometimes when I ask team members to be to be flexible about time zones, but typically we don't find that that's necessary. Um, I think something that's nice about our team and and Updater's business overall and the way we run our company is we don't have a lot of like fire drills, and uh, yeah. we can because we're so oriented around our company goals, mm. like it's fine for people to be flexible and kind of as long as they're getting their work done and 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 you know working on the most important things you work a bit in the morning you take a break you work you know if you take a break in the middle of the day you work in the evening we don't really find the need for everyone to be working the same hours yeah Um, it's good you can have that that flexibility can't you i think that's one of the key things we've all learned about work the workplace in the last you know last few years is that it can be a much more flexible productive environment than it may be used to be you know don't yeah. all have to commute in we don't all have to start at the same time we can trust people more and that and again that i think data really helps with that with regards to trust because you can see what people are actually doing and realize that actually people just work really hard you know and you can trust them to take those responsibilities and that's something i've definitely learned as a leader so so to you know just as a kind of last kind of question for yourself and it's been great to speak to you chris um for yourself, obviously, you've got kind of high hopes for the business kind of going forward, and it's a really, really exciting business update. What would you say the key things you've learned as a, in your journey as a leader, particularly in the last 18 months, you know, when, 
know, there's been huge changes within your business and huge changes within society. So are there any particular things that you've learned that you think are, are useful for other potential leaders or actual leaders to, to pick up on? Yeah, there's, I mean, there, there's a lot that I could, that I could speak to. One, one that stands out is the power of being vulnerable as a leader. Okay. Um, over the past couple of years, um, we, we have a, we at Updater and, and myself personally, we have a strong culture of like what you could call growth mindset, um, mm-hmm. which is the view that um, with feedback and suggestion, you can change and that your performance is not inherently baked into your genetics, but rather is a product of um, improvements that can be made. And I, I feel really strongly about that. Um, and I found it very valuable to ask uh, peers that are on other teams and people on the data team for feedback, um, particularly focused on constructive feedback, um, and also to share with them um, when I actually feel as though I haven't succeeded, um, because it's a fact. Um, I think that that it invites them to make suggestions that I might not have seen. Because if I could think of everything exactly the way to be perfect, then I would already be perfect. I'm quite far from perfect now. Um, and so, so I need help. That's honestly the, the bottom line, and everyone does. Um, and when you do that, either with people who you, you're not required to, when you choose to go out of your way, whether that's your direct reports or your peers, it, it demands respect. And I found that it facilitates and some of the strongest relationships that I've had at the company. Many times when I've asked for feedback or even said like, hey, this is something that I'm struggling with. I wonder what you think and what you think I could do differently. Um, It has helped mend and improve relationships that were tense um, because it's so genuine. So I would certainly, it's counterintuitive, but um, showing that has, has been a big realization for me. Fantastic. And I guess that links back into our kind of original point, which is it's almost using that feedback data loop on yourself, isn't it? You know, yourself, you know, what's wrong with my processes and, you know, that, how can I improve really? And I think that's, that's something we can all be aware of. I think sometimes as managers or leaders, we're constantly striving to help other people to improve, but not really kind of so much thinking about ourselves. And as you said, no one's perfect. So. So Chris, that was a, a great conversation. Thank you very much for your time today. Um, uh, I wish you well. I hope you have a happy Christmas because we're recording this on the 21st of December. So Christmas is coming and um, uh, I'm sure it'll be a great 2022 for, for Updater. So thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, David. Thank you.